You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Bibles or turn your eyes to the screen. We're going to look at Exodus 20:13 this morning. We continue this series going through the Ten Commandments that we're calling Gold and Honey because in one of the Psalms it says that God's law is is like gold and honey. So oftentimes we think God's law comes to oppress us, comes to take away our freedoms, but it's actually the opposite. It's God's law actually teaches us how to live free. How to be the people God has called us and created us to be. And in doing so, what we want to do is call every person in this room, including myself, to reorient all of our lives around Jesus Christ. And so we know that everyone in here realizes that we're in the process of moving into a new facility, having our own building to meet in. But let's just make it clear, that's not going to change. We're not about gathering people in a certain place to do a checklist act of religion. We want to see people's lives transformed, not just on Sunday, but every day. And so that's why we're looking through these Ten Commandments that give us this guide map for all of life. So Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Not a long verse here. It's, it's actually just two words in the original language. And it's one of these commandments that maybe you're thinking, man, Jared hammered us on father and mother. But at least this one, you shall not murder, I'm good, right? I don't know that there's any murderers in here this morning, actually, right? Well, I saw a hand. But uh, (laughs) we're going to challenge that, though. And I think we're going to see that there is a word for us in here. Maybe that this isn't such an irrelevant command. The word of God that says, you shall not murder. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we don't have to to come and just work ourselves up into some sort of emotional experience that gives us reason to believe a fairy tale so that we can have a crutch to walk through our difficult lives with. But thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this morning, God, we ask you through the power of your Holy Spirit to just open our eyes to see how, how needy we are of Him and to see how sufficient He is to meet all of our needs. May by the time we come to the end of this service, we are throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus, not in guilt and not in shame, but in freedom and worship. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last several years, and it seems to even be escalating as time goes on, we hear these these reports of these public shootings. So we think back, and I can't even name them all, to things like Columbine, to Sandy Hook, to Virginia Tech, to San Bernardino. And there was one, not to, to freak you out, I believe it was in Aurora, Colorado. Does anybody remember where that shooting took place? In a movie theater. All right? So everybody gets a little nervous. I'm not here just to make you nervous about that. But I want to ask you, what if you knew that there was a murderer in the room right now? What if there was? What if that murderer uh, was sitting beside you? What if that murderer was you? 
Well, the reality is there is. He's preaching to you this morning. He is sitting in your seat. He is, he or she is sitting beside you. We are all guilty, as we're going to see this morning, of breaking this commandment, whether we realize it or not. And the fact that some of you may already be thinking like, that's an irresponsible use of language, reveals even more why we need to hear the truth of this command. That although there are different degrees of murder, that the seed of murder, the root of murder, the heart of taking someone's life can be present in each and every one of us. But at the same time, we're going to see this in God's Word, is we also see there's good news for murderers. Do you realize whom God is giving this command to, to bring to us? It's Moses. And guess what Moses did before this? He murdered someone. Do you realize the great king, the one who writes these words of God's law, that they are gold and honey, David, that points us to Jesus Christ. Do you know who David is? Murderer. Do you realize the one whom will give us this layout and blueprint for everything we're supposed to do as the church, the Apostle Paul, do you realize what he was? A murderer. God is not stopped by murderers. God is not overwhelmed by murderers. God hates murder. But God loves murderers. The murderer in your seat. The murderer in your heart. He loves you. He wants to lead you into life. He wants to give you a mission of life that's not just about restraining civil violence, but is about renewing changed hearts. So that we put murder to death everywhere around us and everywhere in us and we embrace a love of life. But how are we going to do that? Well, we've got to understand what murder is and we've got to understand why it's so wrong, first of all. So let's do that. Thou shalt not murder. What is murder? Well, first of all, murder is not simply killing. I know some of you, we think of this command and we immediately think, thou shalt not kill. But if you were to read even this word and understand what it means and think of the context, you understand that this does just not mean Killing, no exceptions, right? Because just keep reading in Exodus. Uh, there's going to be several executions that are even endorsed by God himself. There are different words in the original language. There are actually eight different words for killing. And the word that is used here is never used in pertaining to a just legal system or a just military action. But what is forbidden is the unlawful killing of a human being. The unjust taking of an innocent human life. And so we just don't have the time this morning, and I don't think this is what's best for this congregation, to debate all the ins and outs of capital punishment and just war. If you want to talk about that later, I've studied it, we can have that conversation. But when we see these words here, thou shalt not murder, we are talking about the unjust taking of a human life. And why is this so wrong? It's so wrong because murder is denying who God is. You realize God alone is creator. God alone is God. God alone has the right to say this person lives or this person dies. I think we have this view in our culture, and this is why things are so messed up in our world, is that life is ours, that we're the owners of life. One person gave this example of it. It's as if I was to give you a car. 
If I give you a car, you think, okay, now I can do whatever I want with this car. But if I loan you my car, now you think, okay, I've been entrusted with this. I need to take care of it. It's not actually mine to do with what I want. It's someone else's. We've got to realize that's what life is. Life is God's. He's the Lord of life, the authority of life. And murder happens when we say, I'm going to decide when this person dies. But it's also denying who people are. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, you could look this up. It says that humanity is created in the image of God. It's that that we're not just random pieces of matter that happen to come together over time and be, voila, humans. No, but we are God's special creation. The climax of the days of creation. Humanity created in His image to reflect God's character, His person in this world. That's why in Genesis chapter 9, I believe Ryan has this text, verses 6 and 7, we see this tied directly to the issue, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in His own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth. That is scatter and grow and swarm as it were on the earth. And multiply in it. We see that God is a God of life. Because the people, the humanity that he has created. Has been created in his image. If you murder my son. And you come to me and you say no offense. It was just between me and him. You got another thing coming. (laughs) Right? Because an attack on my son, this one in my image, as it were, is an attack on me. This is true. Other human beings, although we do not all relate to God equally as Father, we're not all believers. We do not call, call God Father in the same sense. Every human being on the face of planet earth is an image bearer of almighty God. And to do violence unjustly on that person is to attack the very person of God himself. But also murder is so wrong, not only because it denies who God is and denies who people are in his image, but it denies God's story of life. People think it's, oh, it's so amazing that people just randomly kill people all the, all the time when we've been telling them from their five years old that guess what? All we are is just highly evolved animals. So go out in the backyard, cut a chicken's head off. Go out in the back room and cut a person's head off. Well, what's really the difference? I mean, after all, the story we're told is it's just survival of the fittest. Whoever is the strongest is who survives. Whoever it's either dominate or die. But the Ten Commandments are set within a larger story of life. Of a story of a God who doesn't just throw particles out into the universe and say, let's see what happens when we roll the dice. But of a God who creates people. Of a God who loves life. Of a God who did not design death as a part of this creation. But death came on the back of sin. And through the temptation of Satan. Whom Jesus says in John eight forty four That Satan is a murderer. 
was a murderer from the beginning. And all those who murder are following him are getting in line with his story. But God's people, Israel and God's people, the church, are called out into this greater story of life to be a people set apart for his purpose, to display his character of a God who loves life. But when God is out of the picture, when the right understanding of humanity is out of the picture, and where this story of life is subverted by a story of tooth and claw and death, then things happen like happened in my life growing up. Sometimes both of my parents worked all the time, and so me and my brother had to stay home together a lot. And I was the older brother, so this worked out good for me. But not always so good for him. Particularly if I'd have friends staying over. Because there was no authority, so to say, in the house, there was no God when mom and dad were gone, then torture was about to happen. And so me and my friends would come up with crazy ways to torture my little brother, who all he wanted to do was just be accepted by us. You know, just want to play with us. And so we'd be like, hey, why don't we do scavenger hunt? You know, and so we had these, our houses were surrounded by pastures, and we're like, you know what? We buried a red shovel out in the back of the pasture. Go find it, and when you get back, you can come and play with us. Well, guess what? There was no red shovel buried back there. So here he goes out just searching passionately and excitedly so that he could come in and be a part of what we're doing, and we're just sitting up there laughing at him. But maybe even worse than that, I remember one time even when I was a little older and had a friend who could drive, is we used to like to go up and ride around in the mountains and there's all these, I don't, graveyards in the mountains. And I remember one time we took my brother into the mountains and we dropped him off in the graveyard and drove away. (laughs) Now I try to forget this stuff and block it out of my history, but he reminds me. And just, just think, you know, he's left there, he's scared, he's alone. And to be honest with you, when he reminds me of this today, I try to change the subject very quickly because it breaks my heart. Because that's, that's a story of there is no God, that he doesn't matter. He's just there for my entertainment and whatever makes me happy or has whatever gives me joy, regardless of his expense. And if we're honest, that's the way some of us can live our lives. We need to feel that for all of humanity. Is that whether we realize it or not, God is present. He's there. He's in your every place, your every space. But maybe some of you are playing God. Maybe some of you are treating people as less than image bearers. Maybe some of you are forgetting the story of life that God has called you into. You might be asking, well, what does that look like? Well, we've got to understand how we break this command. Not only why is it so wrong, well, we can break it obviously just physically through the, through the obvious, immediate understanding of this, through taking a weapon and taking someone's life, through using our bare hands and taking the life out of someone, or maybe assisting someone else in taking someone's life. But if we read throughout the Bible, we see that this command, even in the Old Testament, spoke not just of intentional physical killing, but also unintentional killing that could take place through careless planning. So some of you in some of your Bibles will even have a little uh, note. I know that mine did. A little number by, your, by this word. And then you look down and it says, This word, this Hebrew word, can also be used for negligence. So that it is not just 
intentional killing, but unintentional killing. And as we go through in Exodus, we see what he's talking about. So if you have an ox, and your ox is known to kill people, but you don't keep your ox pinned up, and that ox kills someone, then guess what? You're responsible for it. In the book of Deuteronomy, it even talks about your roof. So if you have a roof that is not a steady, sturdy roof that someone could die by getting on, and you don't take care of that and someone dies, then guess what? You can't say, well, I'm not a roofer. No, you're responsible. Jared's already getting nervous thinking about what happened at the building yesterday. But uh, don't stand by the wall. No, I'm kidding. But it was also what we could call not just careless planning, but callous passing. Because if you read throughout the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, as these Ten Commandments are fleshed out in their various details, we see it's not just by going up and strangling somebody. It's not just because, you know, you've let your pit bull wander around the neighborhood and play with the kids. It is... It's talking about how you see people who are in need and you say, who cares? So much of the Old Testament and God's people, the way they are to represent God as a God of life is how they treat the sojourner. How they treat the foreigner who is found among them. And if you read, there's all these laws for how if, God, if, they, if Israel is going to represent God among the nations, they're not going to treat outsiders like the other nations do by enslaving them, by using them, by manipulating, by acting as if just because they're not from here, they're less than us. And then Jesus takes this even to the next level in His grace. And if we could put Matthew 5, 21 through 26 up here. We see that this is not just an issue of phys- the taking of physical life or the ignoring of physical life so that it is lost, but it's relational. And I want to say this before I, before I get into this. As we're talking about murder, there are definitely degrees of murder. So as we lay out here how murder can take place in the heart... I'm not saying it's exactly the same as murder that takes place with the hands. Now, why do I want to say that? Because some of you might be about to say, well, if I've already murdered them in my heart and that's just the same, I think I'll go ahead and kill them. Right? So let's not make that connection. (laughs) But what we're going to see here is that murder is not just about what happens with your hands, but it starts in your heart. And Jesus cares about the heart. Murder is just a symptom of a deeper evil that dwells within us. And Jesus reveals that to us here. He says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Here's Jesus' sermon on this text. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We'll We'll just stop there. Do you see that? Jesus is saying that murder is about the heart and the seed of murder is anger. We see this back in the first murder in the Bible, Cain and Abel. Cain was 
jealous. He was angry because his brother Abel's sacrifice was accepted and not his. And, and God said to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. The act you've yet to commit is already seeking to take root in your heart. Anger is serious. And we're not talking here about spirit-filled righteous anger. Because some of you may already be thinking about Jesus going into the temple, knocking over the tables. No, that was an anger that wasn't self-focused, self-protective. That was an anger that was out of love for God and love for others. We're talking here about flesh-fueled anger that's about self-protection, that's about saving face. We're not talking here about a temper flare-up. We're talking here about this slow burn of the soul that festers. But we see here it's not only anger, but Jesus also talked about what we could call scorn. When he said you... You, you say raka to someone. You call people a fool. And you could translate this more loosely. You say, you're a moron. You're a nobody. When you look at someone and you think, you know what? You can just go jump off a cliff for all I care. To be honest, this just was so convicted this is a hard, you think this is a hard sermon to hear? Think about having to prepare it. <laughs> While your kids are aggravating the heck out of you. <laughs> Not going to get angry. <laughs> but even harder than that, and I've been waiting for somehow to work this into a message, even though it's not going to be flattering, is driving on 49 from Paragool to Jonesboro. I'm already getting, feeling the conviction. <laughs> Public service announcement. The left lane is only for passing or turning left. <laughs> okay, so if, if that's you, I show grace to you. I'm confessing. Please forgive me. All right? Okay, it's only for passing or turning left. But as I try to make that drive from Paragould to Jonesboro as I often do, and I get behind, beside two people who evidently decided they're going to drive to each other and maybe forsake the technology of cell phones, it seems, and roll down their windows and talk for 30 minutes. And I honestly, I feel deep anger. I, I'm, I'm kidding. My wife can tell you this. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely wanting to repent before you all because I'm thinking that I'm not thinking as if God is present. I'm thinking these are people who are driving these cars. They're not image bearers. They are obstacles. I'm looking at them with great scorn. Who do these people think they are? Do they think this world just exists for them? Who are these morons that turn a 15-minute drive into a 30-minute drive? I'm not caught up in a story of life. I'm thinking the story of life is me getting to where I need to go so I can get what I need done. And you might think, oh, pastor, that don't matter. That's not a big deal. We all, we're all there. It is a big deal. Because that same heart that is revealed on that road is the same heart that is revealed around my table with my children. Even when you're trying to do family Bible reading and you're just thinking, I want to take this Bible and cram it down your throat. 
This is, this is hard. The struggle is real. And I'm not saying this to make light of it. I'm saying it. This, we need this word from God. And Jesus also here speaks of resisting reconciliation. He says, if this is so serious, this, this command, thou shalt not murder, which is the positive of that, is that you love life, that you love people. That if you, if you come to the altar, and in our days, let's translate that, you come to this 930, you come to this worship service, and you realize I'm not reconciled with my brother, then you get up and you go do it. You find the person even in this room right now, if you want to be immediately obedient and you have a problem with them, is you get up and you go tap them on the shoulder and you say, let's go talk. Because when you don't do that, this is what you're saying, whether you feel like it or not, you're saying, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I can live my life without you existing, and that's what I'm going to do now. We're done. You're dead to me. I remember watching a movie one time, and don't judge me for this. Some serial killer movie? I can't remember which one it was. It may have been one of the Silence of the Lambs. But uh, this guy was like cooking supper, using various ingredients. But as he goes into his, he's, he's like singing, he's got music going on, da, 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 da. and he opens his refrigerator, his freezer, and he's like, hey, let me move this person's head out of the way so I can get to the ice cream. And it's like, this, this guy is really warped, isn't he? He has accepted that in his life, he, can move, he has to move heads and ears to get to the ice cream. And it's no big deal, just let the music play in the background. And as warped and twisted as that seems, hey, that's all of us in this room. When we've got anger harbored in our heart, when we're looking down as other people as if they're nobodies, and when we're saying you're dead to me, and then we just go frolicking through life, it's no big deal. It's okay. I've just accepted there's heads in my refrigerator. But what are you going to do? Are numb to it. For some of you, it may actually be that you're about to move towards physical murder. And that may sound like an overstatement, but just watch the news. It happens. And I would be irresponsible to not say, if you're there, and God has a word for you today. Don't take the life of your spouse, don't take the life of your children. Some of you may be here this morning and you're contemplating having an abortion. And you need to see that that life is precious to God. And you may have a very hard road to walk. But there's people here who love you and who care for you. And aren't just going to throw a Bible verse and a guilt trip on you. But we will walk through that journey with you. In grace and love. Without shame and guilt. Some of you it may be the unintentional. The callous passing, the careless planning. We think of the great crisis in our world of these people who are being driven out of other countries. And we can debate all of the issues on that and we can come to different places on it about what that means for national safety. And that's fine. I'm not here to, to lay out any policy or give any direction. But hopefully that when we see a picture of a baby washing up on a shore, it breaks our hearts. 
And we may have different answers for that, but if the first thing that comes in your mind is how am I going to be safe, then you need to hear the Spirit of Christ calling out to you to say that Jesus loves all life. It may be relational. It may be this anger that some of you walk into your houses and it's like you have a machine gun of anger that you're just spraying down your family with. And it's killing your wife, it's killing your kids, or it's killing your husband and killing your kids. Maybe some of you are seething over a disagreement. Maybe when someone irritates you, man, you just meditate on all the various ways that you would like to see them tortured. Maybe it's scorn. Maybe some of you just walk around and you're just constantly calling people stupid. They're stupid. That's stupid. Everyone's stupid. Maybe it's you see a person in another race, even another gender, another nation, or of another level of education. And you rate their personhood based on those things. Or maybe it's resisting reconciliation. Maybe you run over something over again and again in your heart. You replay the event. And you talk to others about it. But you never go talk to the person. You gossip and withdrawal instead of doing what Jesus says by speaking and coming near. I know I'm guilty of all these things. And the bodies are piled up everywhere and we've all got blood on our hands. So where is their hope? Where is their hope? Because Jesus says here very clearly in these verses that the one who does these things is, is liable to the fire of hell. John says in 1 John 3.15, I think Ryan has that, that verse as well. Where it says these words. Oh, you don't have it? Okay, that's fine. It says, whoever of you... My, the force was weak in me. All right. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So again, if this is the pattern of your life, if this is the state of your heart, if this is how you live your life, then where is hope? Where's hope for you in here, unbeliever, this morning, who are like, yep, I don't trust Jesus, and my life pretty much is lived in anger and scorn of others. Or maybe you're the believer here this morning. You genuinely have followed Jesus. That hate isn't something that's abiding in you, but hate is something that you find yourself falling into. Where is our hope? Well, our hope is where we sang this morning. Our hope is where we praise every time we gather. Our hope is in Jesus alone. We need a better human to live this life for us. Because if you read all throughout the Bible, all we do is just kill people, kill people, kill people with our hands and with our hearts. But in Jesus, we see the, the perfect Adam. We see the perfect Israel. We see the perfect each and every one of us. When he was provoked, he was peaceful. When he could have wiped everyone out justly, he loved. We see him weeping over his enemies. We see him mocked, spat upon, ridiculed, killed. But in all these things, he kept the sixth commandment perfectly. 
He didn't murder anybody with his hands. He didn't murder anybody with his heart. He didn't take someone else's life, but as they killed him and he hung on the cross, he said these words, Father, forgive them. Why? Because he believed God is God. And he knew that God is not a God who let people off the hook. People would either be judged with the eternal judgment of God or what Jesus was doing on the cross would count for and cover every sin of murder ever committed and ever to be committed. Do you see that? Jesus was unjustly killed by the world even as He was justly executed by the Father. So that we who are sin could become the righteousness of God. This is good news. The wages of sin is death. That's what we all deserve in here today. But the free gift of God is eternal, underline it, life. Even for those of you in here who feel that prick, yes, I machine gun my family sometimes. Do you realize that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover every bullet that has came out of your mouth? In your home, in your workplace, the same God of the murderer Moses and the murderer David and the murderer Paul is the God here today extending you grace to forgive you of your sin, but not just to forgive you, to change you. Because as Jesus rose from the dead, He defeated death and He ascended to the Father and He sent His Spirit, the Spirit of life, to change not just the the verdict on our lives of guilty to not guilty, but to change the identity that we have from murderers to missionaries. I don't know what lie you're believing because if you think, well, I just grew up in a family where everybody's mean to one another, so that's just who I am. That is not who you are. You're in a new family now. You've got a new father now. He doesn't beat you down. He doesn't live to wound you and hurt you. And so you do not have to live in that generational sin. You're no longer a slave to anger, to hatred, to scorn. And He's promised to empower you to change. But the only way you will change is through this gospel. I think one thing me and Jared have in common is lying about the books we read in high school, amongst others. So one of the books that I lied about reading in high school, if you're here in high school, read your books. There's good things in there to learn. Disclaimer. But so one of these books I had to write my senior thesis research paper on was A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. Thank God for cliff notes. And so... What happens in this story is there's two guys that look almost exactly alike, Charles Darnay and Sidney Carden. And these two guys that look almost exactly alike fall in love with the same girl. Now, this story takes place within the French Revolution, and so there's a lot of unjust imprisonments, depending on your view of history, and just imprisonments all going on at the same time. Well, what happens is Charles Darnay gets the girl. And... Sidney Cardam doesn't get the girl. So tension, conflict, potential anger and hatred. Well, in the series, as these imprisonments are taking place, Charles Darnay is arrested. He's rounded up with this group and he's going to be killed. 
These books are actually interesting. He's going to be killed. But listen to what happens. Sidney Carden, because he loves this woman that even though he didn't win her, he loves her so much, he gets some guys and goes on this mission. This is awesome. He, he sneaks into where he's imprisoned, and he says, Charles, we look so much alike. I'll take your place so you can go home to your wife and kids. And Charles Darnay's like, I'm not letting you do that for me, dude. We're not close like that. And I'm not, you're not giving your life for me. And so as one person tells a story, he does what only any good friend would do and uh, hits him on the head and knocks him out. <laughs> and so the guys that are there helping, they, they get Charles and they take him out of the prison and Sidney's in there and nobody knows. They just think it's the same person. So he's there going to give his life for Sidney so that or give his life for Charles so that Charles and his family will be taken care of and stay together. And as he's sitting there talking to some of the other prisoners, and there's, there's one older lady that's sitting there talking to Sidney. She thinks it's Charles. And the more they talk, she realizes it's not, it's not Charles. It's Sidney. And this is what she says. She asks him, are you dying for him? He goes, yes, but shh. Then she says, you know, I didn't think I could face my death. But if a brave stranger like you would hold my hand, I think I can do it. Wouldn't you think the natural response would be to get angry if you were Sydney and be glad this guy was dying and think, now I can creep in and get this woman I wanted. She's going to be desperate and alone. Probably what I'd have been thinking. But what we see here is this glorious picture of grace and the love of Jesus who dies in our place, who says, I'm not going to let anger and hate overcome love and life. And what happened as he embraced this life, it became contagious. It began to change not only his life, but it also began to change people around him. Now they could face death. Now they could walk this journey. Now they could go down this path. And this is the only way that we can escape. This is the only way that we can be changed. Is you've got to really believe that you deserve to be killed by God. You deserve to die. But instead of God giving you what you deserved, He gave you grace. And so when other people harm you, and when other people are stupid around you, and when you feel like other people aren't worth your time, you think, that doesn't compare to what God did for me. And if God can forgive me and pursue me, then it's nothing for me to forgive and pursue others. You can begin to love your neighbor, even the ones who are the closest to you, because we know it's harder to love people who are closest to us sometimes. You can show kindness to strangers. You can resist anger in your hearts and with your hands. You can let go of scorn. You can pursue reconciliation. You can give mercy to enemies. You can love God and you can love all humanity. I just want you to imagine what would it be like if that life and that love for life was present in all of us. What if that's what came out of us around our kitchen tables? What if that is what came out of us in our missional community family meals, in our everyday lives that we live together, in our workplaces, in our country, in our world? It would demand a gospel explanation. People would say, everybody else I know would have told that person 
to go jump off a cliff. And for some reason, you kept loving them. That doesn't make any sense to me. And they'll probably call you stupid. (laughs) And then you'll get to say, it doesn't really make sense to me either until I met this guy named Jesus. And let me tell you how he loved me when he could have very easily just said, go die. The question before us today is, will we, will we remember God's law? Will we trust God's love? And will we embrace life? Father, thank you so much that you are a God of grace. Thank you, Father, that, that though we all let the seed of murder fester in our hearts, Again and again and again and again and again. That you forgive us not just 70 times.